Let's step. Give us light, illuminate our hearts and our minds so that we can obey, so that we can trust you with what your word says. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. As you know, we've been on a series called Community, where you and I belong, and it has been such a great series where we're talking really about fellowship. We're talking about how God's people get together and create community together, how we treat one another, how we're supposed to interact together, how we are an alternative community to what goes on in the world, and we function according to different patterns and different ideas and and, and different concepts and principles, and it's important for us to explore that and to live that way because people are watching and they're attracted to it when God's people do what God has asked them to do. Sometimes they're repelled by it, but there is a there is a power in obeying the scripture and becoming the community that God has created us to be. And so I want to highlight a word today that we've sort of been talking around over the last several weeks. As we've talked about community, many of the verses we've read has this word in it. It is a Greek word. It's called koinonia. Koinonia. Everybody say it with me. Koinonia. It's translated fellowship in many places, but it's translated, it's such a deep and rich word, it's like a diamond that has different facets, and it's such a rich word that it's translated in different ways throughout the scriptures. You can see it in the scriptures, like Philippians 2.1, as community. It's talking about the community. you, You see it translated as participation. This idea of fellowship and community doesn't happen unless we participate together, unless we participate with one another. You participate with me, I participate with you. There is also the term contribution that's used as a way of translating this very rich word, koinonia, fellowship, or community, contribution. In order to have community, in order to have fellowship, I have to make a contribution, and you make a contribution into my life. And interestingly enough, as we've been studying and looking, I was surprised to find that this word generosity is also one of the meanings. And generosity goes together with community. That this word koinonia in some places talks about um, how we share in generosity and in giving together. And so we can't finish our community series without talking about this idea of how God is trying to create a generous community of people. Here's a few scriptures, just some examples of how it's translated. In Philippians 4.15, it says, you became my partners in giving, Paul said. My partners in giving. This is that word koinonia, those three words. It's only one word in uh, in, in the Greek language that it was translated from. Keep doing good and sharing your resources, Hebrews 13 says. That's fellowship, that's community. They begged us to let them have the joy of giving their money for God's people, 2 Corinthians 8, 4 says. Once again, another deep description of this idea of community and generosity and fellowship. Finally, 1 Timothy 6, 18 says, be generous and willing to share. Those three words, willing to share in English, they boil down to one word, koinonia, in that context. 
Now, whenever, we, whenever the pastor begins to talk about money, people can get a little nervous. They just, like, nervous laughter, like that. And there's, there's like, this, this thing that happens to people. It reminds me of the story of two guys that were marooned on a deserted island. And one guy was pacing back and forth and just worried, sick, and, and, and just kind of frustrated that the other guy was not worried. The other guy was laying on the beach, sunning himself, enjoying it. And the guy who was walking back and forth said, don't you realize what's happening? We could die out here. Don't you realize that? And the guy who was sunning himself, he said, no, no, no. He's like, I make $100,000 a week, and I tithe faithfully to my local church. My pastor will find me. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is how people think sometimes when the pastor's starts talking about money. I, I want you to understand today that I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want something for us as God's people. I, I grew up in ministry in a church that didn't talk about it very often. And, and I think sometimes I've been remiss in one chapel's growth and development not talking about this particular subject enough. Because there is a blessing in this community when we understand what it means to be generous with each other. With one another. With what God has given us. And so I want to talk about being generous. Why does the Lord want us to learn to be generous? Well, number one, generosity creates community. It actually creates community. Do you know what happened when if you went to a supper for six meal, uh, supper for six, seven, or eight, my, my group had 25 with all the kids running around. It, was, it is nuts. It is wonderful, though. But there has to be someone who's willing to be generous in order to have them in their home. There's got to be somebody who's willing to cook the food and to express that generosity. And when they do, it starts creating community. Generosity creates community. Look what 2 Corinthians 9 says. It says, your generosity not only provides for the needs of God's people. This is Paul, and he's talking to the church at Corinth. He says, it not only provides for the needs of God's people, but also produces prayers of thanksgiving to God. It doesn't just meet needs. It actually creates something supernatural in communion with God. It actually contributes it's not just a physical contribution, it's a spiritual contribution. There's a spiritual effect, an impact in people's lives. Brilliant author named Randy Frazee who's written a lot about community. Here's what he wrote. He said, I, I had to learn about the connection between generosity and community from my unchurched neighbor. My neighbor asked if he could borrow my ladder. I said, of course. I later learned that he already had one of his own. He didn't need to borrow mine. He just used it as a way to build our relationship. And when he borrowed my stuff, it made me feel I was needed, and I liked that feeling, Randy said. 
He said, now I've learned to do the same thing. My other neighbor, Roger, has a shop vac that I borrow every Friday night to clean my car with my son. Now Roger even leaves it out for me. I told Roger recently I could afford to buy my own shop vac, but I just liked the interaction with him. And Roger asked me, please do not buy one. Here's, here's what happens when generosity begins to spill out. People begin to connect in a way that they didn't before. Jesus said it this way. He said, your heart will be wherever your treasure is. Your heart will be wherever your treasure is. In other words, wherever I put my time, my money, my effort, my energy, wherever I invest myself, that's what I'm going to be attracted to. My money tends to be a magnet for my heart. My money, wherever I put that, wherever I put my time and energy. In other words, if you want to get a heart for the top 100 stocks in the stock market, start investing in them. You'll start paying attention a lot more. Something will happen to you. Your heart will be drawn. Your attention will be drawn. Wherever you put your time and money, that's where your heart is. That's what Jesus said. For many of you, your heart is in your home. It's in, it's in what you're doing at your house. It's in your back deck. It's in your kitchen that needs to be updated. Some of you, your, your heart is, is in your boat. Some of you, it's in your hobby. For some of you, it's in your careers. Everything is about the career and your heart is drawn to your career, wherever you're putting your energy, wherever you're putting your time, wherever you're putting your money, your treasure is going to determine where your heart is. So obviously anytime that I'm generous with you, or I'm generous with the poor, or I'm generous with anybody, if I'm generous with God, that's where my heart tends to go, and every time I give to God, it draws my heart closer to Him. Every time I give to you, it draws my heart closer to you. This is how it works. Generosity creates community. The first Christians were very famous for this. All right, here's what Acts 4 says. It tells us that the community of believers shared everything in common, like a family. They shared it all. They said, what's mine is yours, and you can share it with me. It was totally voluntary. It was not forced. It wasn't communism. It wasn't forced sharing. <laughs> Communism says what's yours is mine and I can take it from you. <laughs> Christianity says what's mine is yours and I'll share it with you. It's getting quiet in this Methodist church. I don't know. You guys okay? You guys all right? Okay. Have you ever had, have you, okay, so I don't know about you parents, but if, if you're a parent, you've, you've maybe had this experience where you're training your children, you're training them not to be selfish, you're training them to share, and you want them to, and as you do the training, it seems as though they never do it in your own house. But you send them to somebody else's house. They go, oh, they're not with you, they, they spend the night at somebody else's, they, they go somewhere else, and they interact with some other people, and you get the report back. The report comes back, Oh, they were just so well-behaved. They're so kind and just sharing with people. Just so amazing. It's so incredible. You're raising some great kids. And you're like, you we're talking about my kids, right? Because <laughs> I don't see it at home. <laughs> but I, 
You know what happens to a parent's heart when he hears, she hears that? This is great. It's working. <laughs> it's working. It's happening. It's happening in their heart. And I think this is the way God sees us. When we choose to be generous, he says, that's my boy. That's my girl. He's getting it. She's getting it. She's understanding it. Generosity creates community. Number two, generosity defeats materialism. It defeats materialism that is going on in our culture and in our lives. The more I'm generous with you, the more it defeats the materialism that is tempting my own heart. Would you agree we live in a culture of materialism? Yeah. It's like everybody wants, to, it's, it's like you gotta get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can. It's like, we're, it's like we're, we're trying to get more and more and more and that's all we can think about because what will happen if we don't have enough? And then you finally think you've got it all. You're just now keeping up with the Joneses and then they refinance their home. You think you've got it all and then suddenly the Christmas catalog comes out and convinces you of all the things that you need that you cannot do without. This is the culture we live in, but the antidote to materialism, there's, and there's only one antidote. There's only one antidote to materialism, and it is generosity. Every time you're generous, you have a spiritual victory in your heart. Every time you're generous, your heart grows. It expands. Every time you're generous, you break the grip of materialism in your life. Why? Because materialism is all about getting. It's all about getting the stuff. But God says every time you share with a friend, every time you share with your family, every time you share with a neighbor, God says every time you do this, you're breaking the grip of that materialism. And by the way, that's why parents, you need to give and be generous in front of your kids. They need to see it. They need to witness it. You need to model it in front of them because where else are they going to learn it? They're not going to learn it in school. They're not going to learn it in the neighborhood. You need to do it. The Bible says this in Matthew 6, 24. It says, you cannot serve both God and money. I want you to say, cannot. cannot. <laughs> Notice it doesn't say, should not. It says, you cannot serve both God and money. It is an impossibility. You can't have two number ones in your life. You can't say, making a lot of money is number one in my life, and God's number one, too. Also, it doesn't happen. One of them has to be number one. You've got to decide which one it is. You have to choose who's going to be number one. So anytime you're generous with people, you're creating community. Anytime you're generous, you're defeating materialism in your own heart. Number three, generosity strengthens my faith. Here's what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He said in 2 Corinthians 9, he said, your giving proves the reality of of your faith. Wow, that's kind of a harsh statement. What Paul is saying is generosity is an active way that we demonstrate our faith in God as a provider, as a defender, as a redeemer, as a savior. I love the name savior. We don't use it well enough. You know, God saves everything for you. He saves the good, he saves the bad. He saves everything in between. He's saving it all for you to create benefit for you. 
If you'll just turn to him, if you'll just respond to him, if you'll just be generous, he wants to pour it all back into you. Here's a principle in 2 Corinthians 9. It says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You know this principle because it's true in every area of your life. If you're, if you're giving out, think about this. If you're giving out judgment, if you're, if you're judgmental of people around you, guess what's going to come back to you? Judgment. When you, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you're critical of other people all the time, you're always nitpicking, you're always criti criticizing other people, guess what's going to come back to you? Criticism. You're going to be critical of you. Whatever you give out, it's going to come back to you. If you gossip about people, I guarantee they will gossip about you. If you're envious or jealous of other people, other people are going to be envious and jealous of you. Whatever you give out, you're going to get back. Now, on the other hand, if you're constantly encouraging people and affirming them, guess what's going to come back to you? Affirmation, encouragement. If you're sowing kindness, people are going to show you kindness. If you sow love, you're loving other people. People are going to love you back. Whatever you give out in your life, you're going to get back. And here's why. Because God wired the universe this way. This is the way the universe works. But when you, give, when you give out something, you get back more than you gave, always. Right. I'm not just talking about positive or negative. Whatever you give out, it's going to come back to you, and it's going to come out more. Yeah. Here, let, me, let me prove it. If I take a kernel of corn and plant it in the ground, am I going to get one kernel of corn back? No. I take one kernel, I plant it in the ground, I'm going to get a stalk with hundreds and hundreds of kernels. If I take one tomato seed and plant it in the ground, I'm not gonna get one tomato back. I'm gonna get a bunch of tomatoes, a whole ton of tomatoes, a truckload. Whatever you give out, you're gonna get back in a greater degree. Why? Because God wants us to see how he is. Who he is. That he's generous. And he wants us to be like him. To be generous with him. Sooner or later, you and I have to ask this question, am I going to believe what the Bible says about this? The reason he's, the scripture says this is because these are the, this is the opposite of what my human nature gravitates to, right? What does my human nature gravitate to? I, uh, I gravitate to amassing, to hoarding, to stockpiling, to accumulating, to getting all for myself. Have you ever seen the show Hoarders on TV? Oh my gosh. How could a person be, I mean, it is incredible to see people who are, who are really sickly with this sense of, I've got to keep everything. Let's be honest. There's two kinds of people in this world, only two, givers and takers. Givers and takers, you're either a giver in life or you're a taker. Takers are always the unhappy ones. They always seem to be the mean ones. They're fearful, insecure. They're, they're, they're miserable. It's not an accident that the word miser and miserable came, come from the same root word. <laughs> miser. Misers are miserable. But the most giving, the most generous people in life are always the ones who are giving their time. They're giving their energy. They're giving their help. They're offering themselves to others. Those are the happiest people on the planet. What is that? 
So money actually becomes the acid test of my faith. The test of my faith. Am I going to be generous and expect God to keep his promises? A, a, a lot of people, a lot of believers, a lot of people who say they're Christians, they act like atheists when it comes to this. They act like he doesn't exist. Like he's not looking, he's not watching, he's not involved in this. There's a famous story, and I've heard it told in several different circles. Bob McEwen, I, I, I heard this story from him, but he took his son to McDonald's, and he brought, bought, bought him a, a supersize order of fries. You know, there's nothing better than McDonald's french fries. Supersize me. <laughs> Buys his son the, the, the french fries, and he can smell them. He's driving in the car. They're driving away from the pickup when he can smell it. The smell is wafting. And he reaches over and he takes one. He pops it in his mouth. And his son looks at him and says, hey, those are my fries. You can't have them. Those are mine. And is it this moment that the father has an epiphany? Here's the epiphany. First, the dad thought, my child has forgotten that I am the source of all fries. <laughs> I brought him here. I took him to McDonald's. I made the order. I paid for the order. I handed him to him. I'm driving him back home. He wouldn't have any fries if it weren't for me. The only reason he got any fries was because of me, the great fry giver. <laughs> Second thing that occurred to him was my child doesn't realize I could take them away in a second if I wanted to. Or on the other hand, I could buy him an entire truckload of fries if I wanted to because I have the power to do either one. The third thing the dad realized is I didn't need his fries. He didn't need his fries. The dad thought, I could easily get my own. I, I could buy myself 100 packets of them if I wanted to. I just wanted him to learn how to be unselfish. Those are the three lessons of how God teaches us to be generous with other people. It works the same way. God says, I want you to remember that I'm the source for everything. You don't have anything that doesn't come from me. Remember where it comes from. It's not just yours. Secondly, I could take it away from you. Or conversely, I could double what you got instantaneously. It's kind of, part of partly your choice. And then thirdly, God says, I don't need your fries. <laughs> I don't need your stuff. I can make my own fries. And they wouldn't be bad for you if I made them. God says, I don't need your money. I'm not poor. I just want you to learn to be unselfish. All of us have to do this. All of us have to go through this. What happens when I start becoming a more generous person? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need, plenty left over to give joyfully to others. God says, if you'll practice generosity, guess what happens? If you'll be generous with the people around you, I'll make it up to you whatever you give away. And here's what he says, I'll give you even more so that you'll share with more people. He, God is looking for people he wants to channel his resources and love through. 
That's what he's doing. And the more you're willing to become that, the more he's going to flow through you and through me. This is how generosity works. Number four, generosity is an investment in eternity. Here's how Jesus describes it in Luke 16. He says, use your worldly resources to benefit others. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. Something is stored up for us. You've heard, you've heard me say it. You've heard other people say it. You can't take it with you. You'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> Some of you are like, what is a hearse? Um, <laughs> in fact, um, it's, so, it's so interesting. I learned this this week. Mortuaries have suits that you can purchase, burial suits that you can purchase if you don't have a suit that you wanted to be buried in. And there's a difference between a burial suit and a regular suit. You know what the difference is? The difference is no pockets. What do you need packets for? You're not carrying anything anywhere. You're not taking anything anywhere. You can't take it with you. But here's what the Bible says. You can send it on ahead before you go. You can send it on ahead before you go. How do you do that? By investing in people who are going there. Every time you're generous with the poor, every time you're generous with a friend, with a neighbor, with anybody, anytime you're generous with your time, your money, your effort, God says you're storing up treasure in heaven. Something that's benefiting others. Your time on earth, about 80 to 100 years, you'll spend trillions of years in eternity. Where do you want the bank account to be biggest? Ask the question. We get so consumed. Look at how Paul coached Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19. Here's what he said. He said, tell the rich to use their money to do good. Oh, let's pause right here. Tell the rich. Paul could have easily been talking, Timothy could have easily been talking to you and to me. Because by anybody's standards, you and I are rich. In worldly standards, across the globe, you and I, because we live in America, are in the top 5%. No matter what you make. In fact, you could look up where you rank. It's a great website. It's called globalrichlist.com. Globalrichlist.com. Put, your, put, put what you make in a year in there, and it calculates where you fall in the category. And it shows you, it calculates it. And if, if you make $35,000 a year, you're in the top 2% worldwide. Little perspective, please. We, we, we have to, as Americans, we have to dial in our understanding. We have, to, we have to really see what God is saying to us because we're fed with all this other junk, all this materialism, all these things, all this dissatisfaction when he's trying with all his might to help us be generous. It's human nature. It's human nature to be selfish. God's doing something else in us. Look at what Timothy says. I'll read the rest of it. Tell the rich to use their money to do good, giving happily to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven, the only safe investment for eternity, and they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. 
There's no, no greater investment than the kingdom of God. When you help people with your time, your money, your resources, whatever you've got, God is actually saying, I'm counting that as an investment credited to you in heaven. That's an awesome idea, but it requires faith. It requires that you trust him. If you give in the offering here at One Chapel, this week you helped a single mom keep her apartment when she was just about to lose it. You made an investment. Every month we bust the benevolence budget. Because there's not, there's more needs than we can meet. The investment is good though. If you give at one chapel, you know what you're doing? You, you are investing in missionaries going around the world into unreached places and carrying the gospel. The first 10% of everything that comes into one chapel, it automatically goes out. And our, our goal is that that number would be higher. We got a bunch of missionaries in training right here in Mountain Gateway, and there's an investment. You, you don't know this, but we're, you're supporting a bunch of them, and we don't know what the investment's going to be for the kingdom for eternity because they haven't even really started yet, but there's an investment that you're making in them that's I mean, who knows the hundreds of thousands of people that will come into the kingdom because we said yes to a young person who said, I feel like God's called me. That's what that's what we do. That's what this is. That's why, we, that's why we give. Do you know that last year, 2015, 74 new church plants were started in part because of what you gave here at One Chapel. We are part of the ARC, which is the Association of Related Churches. 534 churches over the last several years. We're number 169. We were planted as number 169, and now there's over 500, and it's an incredible thing. You take those 74 church plants from 2015, which is the latest number, uh, year with statistics, and you take every launch service that they had, 900 people made decisions for Jesus Christ. That's pretty cool. That's pretty great investment. This is what we do. This is why, and the more generous we become, the greater investment we make in what the kingdom of God is doing. And if you put all those 534 churches together and you take what, which they've calculated this, what they give to missions every single month, over $11 million. $11 million last year. That's in one calendar year. This is incredible what God can do if people will just be willing to be generous with what they have. Number five. Generosity blesses me in return. Generosity not only creates community, defeats the materialism that's in my own heart, it strengthens my faith, it is an investment for eternity, but it blesses me in return right now. I don't have to wait till heaven. It's not like it's just there and not here, but this is stated over and over again in the Bible. God blesses those who are generous. It's, it's like there are hundreds of times. God's saying, I want you to get this one for sure. I want you to become like me. I want you to be Generous, another word for generous would be gracious because God shows his grace to us. There's a lot of examples about how generously he blesses us in return. 
Here's one example in Deuteronomy 15. Give generously and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord, will, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. I want you to circle all and everything. <laughs> in your message, no, circle all and everything. God says, I'll bless you in all you do and everything you put your hand to. Sign me up for that. Here's the question. Do you and I really believe this? Are we, are, uh, it amazes me how some people can't, they can trust God for their salvation, but they can't trust God with their finances. They can trust God to forgive them of their sins, but they can't trust God to take care of them with their money. It's so sad because stingy people are so miserable. As a result, they miss out on so many blessings. Here's number six. Generosity produces happiness. There is more happiness in giving than receiving, Paul said. Paul was quoting Jesus here in Acts 20. Paul's quoting Jesus. He, sa he says, it feels good to give. Have you ever seen one of those telethons where they're like get, raising money and some guy gets on there and says, you got to give till it hurts. I don't even believe in that. We got to give till it feels good. Yeah. <laughs> some of you are like, I'm not convinced. Because <laughs> it hurts so quickly. No, there, there's something here. When you become generous, something happens in you. It creates a happiness, a deep and abiding joy because you know what God is doing in your soul and in your heart and in the world. You tap into what his values and desires are and his desires are so joyous. They're so wonderful. It's the givers. It's the takers. You want to be a giver or a taker? Takers are not happy. They're scared to death of losing what they've got. They're frightened. They're insecure. They're uptight. They're not generous people. God's called our community to be generous. Number seven, generosity makes me more like God. Everything we have has come from you, Lord, and we can only give you what is yours already. First Chronicles 29, 14. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave. It defines him. Now listen, you can give without loving. But you can't love without giving. You can give without loving, and you can give it grudgingly, but you cannot love without giving. God wants us to be in love with him. He wants us to be in love with one another. He wants us to have community and fellowship together. And that love has to run through our community and spill out of our community into our city and our neighborhoods. I want you to see this. Did you know that the word believe is used 272 times in the Bible? God wants us to believe. The word pray, 371 times in the Bible. God wants us to pray. The word love, 170, or sorry, 714 times in the Bible. God wants us to learn to love each other, but the word give, you know how often it's used? 2,162 times. <laughs> it is just part of the landscape of describing who God is and who his people are. We got to get this. God talks more about giving and generosity than he does about heaven or hell. Because he knows the secret to the human heart. To the selfishness that lives in us.
He wants to replace it with something else. Now, how can I practice generosity? I'm just gonna go quickly here. I'm gonna breeze through this. If you're really eager to give, it's important how it is, sorry, read that scripture together. If you're really eager to give, it isn't important how much you're able to give. Well, there it is. It doesn't get any clearer than that. I was waiting for the press from the pastor. The pressure. No, no pressure here. Look what the next passage says. You must make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. Four things from that verse. I want you to write them down. Here it is. The first is give thoughtfully. The Bible says to make up your own mind. This is how I think God calls us to give. He wants us to pray. He wants us to think about it. He wants us to do it on purpose. He doesn't want us just to be spontaneous. There is a thought that goes around that says spontaneity equals spirituality. Like, oh, I I just felt inspired, so I emptied my wallet. Wasn't that spiritual? Actually, no. It could mean you were manipulated. I think we've got to think about it. What are we going to do with what God's given us? We need to think about it, pray about it, and then we need to act decisively. The second is give enthusiastically, not reluctantly, but enthusiastically. You don't give out of guilt, some kind of condemnation. Oh, if I don't give, God's going to strike me with a lightning bolt. That's a terrible motivation. Give with enthusiasm. Where would the enthusiasm come from? It might come from what Jesus is doing in your heart. as a result of making you into a generous person. (laughs) Give voluntarily, the next idea would be in this verse. Give voluntarily, you don't do it under pressure. Let me be really clear about that. If a pastor pressures you to give, you should not give. (laughs) Some of you are like listening to this and you're like, well, I feel kind of pressured by what you're saying right now, Pastor Ross, I don't know. I don't know, I feel the pressure that's building up here. I'm never going to pressure you to give because I know that giving under compulsion is drained of its blessing. Giving because you have to as the motivation is the opposite of developing a generous heart. I believe in tithing, right? Local church, to your tithing to your local, some of you are like, tithing, what's tithing? Tithe means 10%, tithe means 10. Tithing is one of the things that I think we should practice. It's in the scriptures, it's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think it's God's way of doing something practical for us to help us become generous. And sometimes it is a choice and sometimes it is a discipline. Sometimes it's a sacrifice, but there is, it, God has allowed us to experience it all the same because he based it on a percentage. It's no more or less for the rich person, no more or less for the poor person. It is the same for all of us because it deals with our hearts. And by the way, let me just tell you, I think tithing is like training wheels for becoming generous. If you're like, I don't, I don't know if I could do that. I don't, I don't, that's such a big number. I don't think I can do Listen, I think there's a blessing for you and for me. If every person in our church would tithe, there is not a, a, a need we could not meet. Nor a building we could not buy. Which we may need to do soon. Just throwing it out there. 
If, you don't, if you're unsure about tithing, I get it. Totally get it. Try 1% next month. 1%. Calculate it down. Here's 1% of my... I'm going to give 1%. Next month, try 2%. Next month, try 3%. Next month, 4%. By the time you get to 10, I promise you, your trans, the transformation will be complete in your heart and in your finances. You'll have more than you ever thought you could. I promise you. Give voluntarily, though. Don't let anyone like me or some TV personality pressure you. Give out of obedience and give out of love. Give because the Lord speaks to you. Don't ever resist that. Finally, give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. Give with joy. It's interesting that one of the Greek words for offering is the word hilarious. Hilarious. Our giving should sort of be hilarious. And you'll laugh a lot more with a generous heart, I promise. Here's the last two verses. Celebrate the Harvest Festival to honor the Lord by bringing him a free will, look at that, free will offering in proportion. Everybody say proportion. That's the proportion of the blessing he has given you. Finally, there's one more. Remember the generosity of Jesus Christ, the Lord of us all. He, has, he, he was rich beyond our, our telling, yet he became poor for your sake so that his poverty might make you rich. Now, obviously, he's not talking about money here. He's talking about life coming into our lives, true riches of heaven coming into our, our soul. There's one more word. One more word from Koinonia, and it's the word Communion. Communion. We're going to come to the Lord's table here in the last few minutes we have together, and we're going to come. And as we come, there is a moment where I want you to come and decide that you're going to let God work in your heart to become generous. That you commune with Him, that you let Him take over, that you let Him erase what is past, and you start again. There's a fresh start right here, right now. Maybe you've been resisting even giving everything you have to the Lord because the selfishness has gripped you or you're afraid or you're in fear. Could, could I ask you to consider that God is here and waiting to bless you, to transform your heart, to change you from the selfishness that has gripped you, the fear? Come to this table and exchange what you have. <laughs> doesn't matter if it's sinful, doesn't matter if it's painful, doesn't matter if it's fearful, doesn't matter what it is. If you come and you'll lay it down and you'll receive instead the provision of Jesus. The bread represents his body broken for you and for me. The cup represents his blood that was spilled for you and me. I want you to pray and I want you to consider how God might speak to you about becoming a generous person. Close your eyes and bow your head. Father, we're coming to you now. Coming to this table, this table of provision, this table of more, more than we could ever hope for, more than we deserve. We come and we give you what we have. We come and offer ourselves. Everything we have, you've already given it to us. We got it from you, so we're just giving back what belongs to you. But Lord, would you touch our hearts? Would you change us? Would you transform us? Would you forgive us? Would you heal us? Would you create in us 
a generosity that starts to define our community as a church, starts to define who we are in our city. Lord, would you do something beyond our own capacity in each of our individual lives? Forgive us, heal us, cleanse us. In Jesus' name. And we practice 